Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. The title of the message today is Sin the Ruiner. Sin the Ruiner. How many know that sin just screws things up? Man, it sure does. You want to you wanna mess your marriage up? Start sinning. Start looking at pornography. Start thinking about what it would be like to be married to somebody else. Right? And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. That's death of whatever it's touching. Whatever it's touching. It is an agent. It is a, a manifestation, really. Like you can almost, it's, it's really personified. Like we can almost talk about it as a person here in this text. And, you know, the way Paul is dealing with it in this letter, and if you're, if you're new to this series, continue to, to go back and follow up through our YouTube channel. But, man, it's the way this is unfolded, um, it's, it's a problem, it's an issue, but it's not a bigger problem than the Lord can solve. And, and I feel like we, we hear about this a lot. You know, I, that's just who I am. Has anybody ever said anything like that? That's just who I am. I, I have, everybody has their what? Everybody has their struggles. Everybody's got their thing. These all sound like excuses, don't they? And look, I'm preaching to myself this morning. You know, the Lord's worked on me all week writing this message, and it's like, man, I, I needed this. But it's, it's, not, it's not okay to stay in the excuse. It's not okay to stay in the gray area. Like, the Lord has equipped us to live victorious lives, to, to, to accomplish something in this life. But as long as sin is our king, Jesus will not be our king. And so you have to make a choice. And that, that's where I kind of differ from some of the folks that don't believe in free will. I believe in free will. I think you see that. I mean, you, we make decisions. And you woke up this morning, right? And you made a decision. You were going to have a fight with your spouse. That's what I did because I was up all night cleaning up Skittles, colorful Skittles all over the house. <laughs> no, and then I have to apologize. Sorry, babe. I love you. <laughs> Like I slept like an hour last night. My goodness. Look, let a, get a puppy. That'll test your who's reigning, if it's sin or Jesus. But like, we've got to get past this thing. We can't. <laughs> Poor Kyle. I love you. I love you. I can't. <laughs> too soon. Way too soon. Get a puppy. Oh, man. That was funny. The, ch the, the chuckle kind of just went through that whole, yeah. Oh, there. He's living that right now. <laughs> Mm. That's funny. Well, only thing we can do is dive in. Ready? Let's go to Romans chapter 6. And I, I was kind of like questioning whether or not I should read the whole passage of Scripture. Uh, but it went well this morning. And I think that, and I think too, like you can see this exercise, right? We're going to read the whole, the whole chapter, chapter 6 together. And everything that I'm going to say this morning is coming from that chapter. And so I want you to feel like 
in your own walk with the Lord, you can open up the Bible tomorrow morning and just read a passage of scripture. And that you can grow from that and sense what, what the Lord's talking to you. So let's do that together and we'll walk through this, this thing of, of sin. Chapter six, verse number one, it says this, what should we say then? There's two places in this chapter where he's gonna ask these questions, right? What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Uh, so um, I'm really just sinning and doing all the bad things so people can just see how good Jesus is that he puts up with me. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like something that someone would say in 2022? Isn't it amazing that there's nothing new under the sun? Paul says, uh, <laughs> I'm addressing the question for those of you that think, uh, what then? Should we just continue in sin so that grace may multiply? That's what I'm going to tell my wife. Babe, I'm just giving you opportunity to show how much Jesus loves me when I sin in our relationship. Uh, absolutely. What does he say? Absolutely not. Uh-huh. Keep going. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Interesting question. How many struggle with this thought of like, how am I saved from my sin, but I still sin? Does anybody wonder about that? How am I like living for Jesus when I lose my temper? When I still have bad thoughts? This chapter is gonna address that. So hang on. Verse three, or... Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. So he, pull, excuse me, he pulls in the illustration of our baptism. This is why I say the things I say about baptism. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life, right? If we have been buried in the likeness of his death, we will, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Sin being rendered powerless in our life? Boy, that's what I'm talking about. Let's keep reading. Where are we at here? What verse? Seven, thank you. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. There's the powerless piece. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For uh, the death he died, he died to sin once for what? All time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. So I'm just pointing out a few things here. Um, he died once to care for the problem. So there's this element to your future sin that he has already paid for. 
there's an element to, to the things that are going to happen. He has already been there, met that need, and freed you from that, okay? This is kind of like a time travel piece, right? How many ever watched Mr. Peabody and Sherman? Love that movie. It's great, right? So, uh, you know, little Sherman here is getting in the time machine the way back, and, and, and we're going to talk about this, this thing of where your sin takes place. It's in the old you. It's in the past. It's not really your, your present future kingdom self, right? So look at verse 12. Is that where we were? 13. Look at verse 13. And do not offer any part of it to sin, your body, as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Here's another question. What then? Should we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? They're just looking for an excuse every place, aren't they? Well, wait a minute. If we're not under the law and we're under grace, then it doesn't matter. Then the things I do today, if it's on a timeline, he's already cared for them. So what does it matter? Do you, do you see what's going? As he develops, as Paul develops his incredible argument, because that's what it is, they're, they're just like saying, okay, whether you're the Torah-abiding Jew in this scenario or the non-Torah-abiding Gentile, the perspective of the law says, well, I still have grace. Or, I ain't under the law, I can do what I want, shoot. It's Friday night, and the moon is bright. Remember that old TGIF or whatever, like sitcom? Those were the good old days, weren't they? In the 90s, with like step-by-step -step and family matter. No, anyway. Uh, but the point is, is like, we're under grace, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, what's he say about that? Absolutely not, verse 15. Look at verse 16. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which result in sanctification, or your being set apart to be righteous. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death, right? What came from sin. Verse 22, but now since you've been set free from sin and become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the outcome is eternal life. Thank the Lord. And there's the famous verse. But, or for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, let's unpack this chapter. Two questions that we see in this chapter. One is, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? What's the answer? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Question number two, well, what then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? What's the answer? No. Your 
Your position, remember, we're unpacking this thing of your justification. Well, what does that mean? It's a legal term. It's, it's you were put on, uh, not on the stand, but you were on trial. And the accuser of the brethren we think of as the enemy, Satan. Satan is accusing you of your sin. And in this courtroom, this, this unseen divine realm where the unseen Yahweh, the, the just God of all things, right? When he is, when, when similar, to, similar to when Satan said, hast thou considered thy servant Job? There's none like him. He does the same with you and I. And in that unseen courtroom, when all of your sins are placed on the stand, what God now sees, if you have declared Jesus as your savior, if you've declared Jesus as your king, God the Father doesn't see your sin anymore. Who does he see? He sees Jesus. He poured out his wrath, his justice, the price that was to be paid for your wrongdoing, he poured out on his son. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So we've been talking about this thing of justification, it is you being declared righteous. So in the context of Romans, this is the next chapter. It is now you have won the court case. Now you have declared Jesus as your savior. He is your king, right? He is your substitutionary atonement. He paid your price. He paid your sentence. Jesus was resurrected on the third day. Therefore, the penalty of death did not hold him, but the price was what? It was paid, paid in full by the blood of the lamb, right? The, the blood that he shed, we're gonna partake in communion uh, at the end of the service during invitation. And, and the point is, is that the blood that was shed, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no payment for sin. And so in the courtroom here of your life sentence, the justification or the righteousness of God, once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are set free. You are no longer in bondage to sin. Paul uses the analogy. Now you're really in bondage to God and his righteousness. Using that analogy, he says, now you can go forth and live and display his righteousness. And so this is the point when chapter six comes in. You're, you've left the courtroom and now it's up to you to live out your sentence of God's righteousness. Does that make sense? And so the day-to-day -day struggle the day-to-day -day battle of living right, of living, some people say, in the flesh, right, or in the spirit, that's kind of this conversation. But I think if we were to put this in its context and we were, we were to understand it better, I think it would make it easier for, I'm not going to smack that plant down. <laughs> Jeez. If we were to understand it better, I think it would make the decision easier. And so that's what I, I'm trying to, to do for you is you've left the courtroom, you won the case. <laughs> anyway, we'll not talk about Johnny Depp, but you won the case and now it's time to go and, and live your life for Jesus. But you wake up the next morning and you still have your sin nature. You wake up the next morning and you say, I was baptized. I got in the water. I can go back on Facebook and see it. I, I should be changed. I should be different. I, I shouldn't have the feelings and the impulses I still have. But I still want to choke that annoying uh, coworker of mine. Right? 
I still get angry sometimes. I still want to kick the dog when they eat the bag of Skittles. Ah! But that would be living in anger, and that's not right. I want to kick the kids who left the Skittles on the table! I told my wife, I said, we got a better shot at training the dog not to eat anything but dog food than we do to train the kids not to leave their socks and Skittles everywhere. I got more faith in the dog. <laughs> Goodness gracious. You feel me? But I ain't getting in the flesh this morning. We're going to stay in the spirit. My point is, is we all know that after our salvation, we still struggle to live right. Come on, can we be real? Some more than others that we see. But this is the truth that Paul is digging in. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and you're watching online or you're here in person, you need to declare Jesus the Lord of your life. You need to make him your savior to begin this process. But this is really to everybody who's post-salvation. Your sin problem is a problem and it needs to be cared for. The, the, the guilty verdict in the courtroom, he'll hand, he'll hand that innocent justified verdict to anybody who wants to declare Jesus their savior. Okay, but post that, how do we deal with our sin? Because sin is a ruiner. It will trash you. What is the statement? It'll keep you longer, take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay. That's what sin will do. Here's a few, let, let's, let's continue down this thought process. So a few statements that stood out to me in this chapter are this. One question he asks, another I should say, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Have you thought about that? How can we who died to sin still live in it? And we're gonna, we're gonna tease this out, so hang in there. Here's another quote from the chapter six here. Since a person who has died is free from sin. So I'm trying to let you know that we shouldn't be in this struggle, right? There, there's this element of freedom that we should have. Here's another quote. So we too may walk in newness of life. Another quote from this passage. I, I, we can do good things. We can live the power of the resurrection. We will certainly, here's another quote, also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The last one I wrote down from this passage. So, I love this one. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's another quote that Paul uses in Corinthians. Dead to sin, but what? Alive in Christ Jesus. So it can be done. And then here's something I, that I'm noticing in this passage. Our baptism holds strong implications to our new life in Christ. Does everybody see that? He uses baptism as an illustration. I think sometimes we cheapen this a little bit. You know what I mean? We're, we don't think about the implications of our baptism. And many of you are like, ha. Oh. <laughs> Just help me not sin so much. <laughs> this is how you get there. You have to understand. You, you, you can't just get up and, okay, reading my verse for the day. Let me say my prayers. Okay, Lord, help me do better today. You can't just be apathetic. David said, while I was musing, the fire burned. You need to engage with the word of God. You need to think about what God is saying to you. You need to grow in its implications. And so we're talking about the gospel this morning, really, right? And many times Christians get past the gospel. Well, I know how I'm saved. I just trust in Jesus and it's taken care of. What does that mean? And is it enough 
for today as it was for your eternity, because it is. All right, so stay with me here. Our baptism holds strong implications to our new life in Christ. So let's tease this out. The gospel, Young Gillian, the thesis statement for this entire book, Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? Power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to what? Faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will what? Live by faith. This is that, I've been declared righteous and I'm leaving the courtroom and I'm gonna live my Jesus life by what? Faith. This is what this looks like. And, and here's what Paul is saying. An opponent has entered the ring. You, you think you're gonna live by faith. You think that you're gonna exhibit Christ's righteousness and you're gonna come out of the baptistry tank being like, yeah, here we go. Everybody gonna see me and they're all gonna fall at the feet of Jesus and know that I am displaying his righteousness. <laughs> That's not the reality, is it? We get out of the, ba the bathtub, as Ryan calls it, we get out of the baptistry and, and, and we start to live our life and we get up and we feel the same sometimes. Even more so, discouraged and depressed and anxious. And now, whereas before Jesus, we could just sin and have fun and at least it could be what it was. We could just go out and woo. But now I feel bad about it. Now I actually like feel guilty about saying the things or getting angry and I feel like I should apologize. What's up with this? There's a tension. Oh, yeah. It's almost like the Spirit of God is saying, this is not what you're supposed to do. You swallowed the right pill. And now you know that the matrix around you, it's just not what it seems. It's not. And so this is the struggle. And so the gospel is for your living righteously, and the Bible says that it is by faith. So let's break this down. I want you to look at verse five in our text here. Chapter six, verse five, look at it. It says, for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is an analogy of the gospel of, of how we are to accept it. And here's what Paul is saying. Accepting the gospel is accepting Jesus's death as the death of our sin and our rebellious nature. You see, it's not just I pray and I, I ask Jesus to take care of my sin. Many of us think that. Many of us go, the Lord took care of my sin. And then you go sin again. And I, and I want you to follow the fine line here. What I'm not saying is that you can be, uh, that you can attain sinless perfection. I don't believe that. I don't believe that we can be perfect this side of heaven. But I believe that there's a difference between living in sin and living in his righteousness. He's given us components of confession and repentance for this very reason. And so follow me on this. If, if we are accepting the gospel, we are accepting that when Jesus died on the cross, he, he, you die with him and he died with your sins and your rebellious nature. Say, what? Yeah. So here's what I, here's what I mean. When you wake up tomorrow and you accept the gospel tomorrow as you did the day you got saved, it means that when we see a cross, what we see is our sins on that cross. 
When we think about Jesus being put into the tomb, when we think about getting dunked in the water, the water is a picture of chaos. It's a picture of sin. It's a picture of the depths of our sinful, rebellious nature. And Jesus was able to defeat that and rise out of it. And when we are buried with him in baptism, Paul is saying, that is your sin going to death. That is your rebellious nature being put to death. And when you choose to raise uh, uh, up from that sinful life and you are now in, baptized into Christ, you have a new life. They that be in Christ are new creation. Old things have what? Passed away. They've been buried. They've been killed. And, and Paul said, if you've died to something, you are now what? Free. Similar to the, the marriage analogy. In scripture, if your spouse dies, you're free to what? Marry again. Without the, the binding of your marriage agreement, and it's not divorce. Why? Because of death. It's always a picture of freedom. Something ending and a new thing what? Beginning. Paul's analogy is, if you're accepting the gospel, you have to accept that your sin nature and rebellious nature died with Jesus. But we don't do that. We say, forgive me for my sins. And we think too, I think sometimes, and I'm just, I'm talking about myself here and how I've related myself to this. I think about all of these sins pre-salvation, right? I think about like, all the things that God saved me from. But that's not what the text says. It said he died once for all, for all what? Sin. All sin. On a timeline, do you think the Lord knows that you're gonna sin in 20 years? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. So, so therefore, this is the time machine aspect. And I'm not trying, this is deep theology, right? I'm trying to like put it in plain vernacular for us all folks to understand it, right? I'm trying to put the jelly on the bottom shelf as I see it. And so my perspective is, is that all of those sins that I will commit are a part of my old nature. I don't go in and out of old and new nature. I don't go in and out of flesh and spirit. I am in Christ, and so that thing that I'm doing right now, I'm actually digging up my old self. And that's the weekend with Bernie analogy, right? Dragging the, the, the skeleton with me of the person who's gone. That's my old nature. Why would you do dead things with dead people? You leave dead things in the what? In the ground where they belong. Jesus' death and burial should be the death to your sin. Let's continue to follow this analogy. It also means that Jesus' resurrection as the power to... Jesus' resurrection, accepting the gospel, is accepting his resurrection as the power to live in his righteousness. In other words, he has equipped you to live like he is living through you. And we know that he's given us his spirit. We're not alone in this. Look at Romans 6, verse 11. Let's keep moving. Oh my goodness, 12. Romans 6, 11. We've got some real practical stuff here at the end that we've got to just get to. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus in our text. Here's the simple truth. Sin is not your king, Jesus is. Sin is not your king, Jesus is. Who's your king? Are you sure? Who are you living for? Who's calling the shots today? Who's pulling the levers? 
Who's decreeing things in your life? Listen, we all know that when we start down that path of living in sin, it controls the narrative. All we can think about is that next thing, that next text. It becomes like, Scripture says there's pleasure in sin for a what? A season, a short period of time. And when we choose to let sin reign as our king, there's, the only end to that is death. So think about that. If the enemy knows that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus and you are supposed, you walk from that courtroom and you are supposed to be displaying Jesus' righteousness, what more, uh, how much more of a detriment to the church of God can be done than when he can get you on the wrong track? That, that when he can take a Jesus follower, someone displaying Jesus' righteousness and get you on your old path, in your old self, in your old nature, and serving the wrong king. It's tough. And look, piece by piece, your life just begins to fall apart. And we've done, I think it's the enemy, but we've elevated certain sins above the other. We think better about ourselves because we don't kill people, but we have no good relationship because all we do is operate out of anger. What good are you doing? Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we compare out. This thing of comparison is killing us. Sin is sin. Your sin is your sin, and Jesus paid for that. Why are we talking about other people's sin? And why? That's because you're, you're giving an excuse for the king that's in your life called sin. It's reigning. It's controlling. It's like Smeagol with the ring, you know what I mean? You feel me? <laughs> my that was close. That was really good. Whoever said that, my precious. <laughs> it's 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 how it works, church. Let's keep moving. Sin is not your king. Who is? Okay, I'm going to give you this passage of scripture. I don't know that there's a better one to describe how we deal with this thing of sin in our lives. Honestly, this I, I read this passage again this week, and I was like, holy shit, that is it. That like personifies this struggle and how we win. Philippians 3, 12, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, through chapter 4, verse 1. How many like to win? Come on, anybody? All Jesus does is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> I like to win. Jesus wins. He doesn't lose. All he, you understand what I'm saying? You can win this fight. I feel like sometimes you just, you just think that sin is going to win. My, my grandfather cheated on his spouse. My dad cheated on his spouse. So therefore, I'm just going to cheat on my spouse. Generational sin. My mom, I don't know what's a good one for moms. Throw it out there. And then I, right? We just accept the things that we absolutely don't have to accept. Letting sin reign and rule in our life when Jesus is like, I've given you everything you need to beat this thing. Look, if you're beat this morning, and this is where the message turns, y'all are like, half sleep. <laughs> the theology part is weighing you down. We're getting to the practical part. My, my point is, is that you can win this thing. You can win this thing. You, you don't have to have that sin wake up and defeat you. You don't, you don't have to wake up tomorrow and face that and, and, and face it from a place of defeat. You don't. 
You don't have to cheat on your spouse. You can actually have a good marriage. You don't have to be addicted to pornography like the other, what is it, 99.9% of men today? I'm exaggerating. But it's a problem, yes or no? Or you don't have to be uh, uh, the man that says, well, I don't look at that stuff, but you know what you look at that's not your spouse. Where you choose to draw the line, but it's still not right. When scripture says, I'll set no wicked thing before my eye. Do you understand? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is coming for you. And if you don't kick it, what, what are the odds that your son or daughter will kick it? I, I want to be able to sit down with my kids and be like, guess what? We broke that chain. Shoot, we shattered that thing, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And then you can do the same. It's about time somebody steps up and says, I don't have to be ruled and reigned by sin. I can display his righteousness. But, but here's the thing. You can't display his righteousness when you're trying to show off your righteousness. That's let <laughs> Ooh, that was a good one. And they're like, ooh, <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> That's still letting sin reign. Sin is sin, whether it's pride or murder. You feel me? Now we're back to the... <laughs> you can win this thing. I would not be doing what I'm doing if I didn't think you could. Right? I would just go get an honest job. <laughs> but I believe this. I believe in what I'm saying to you. I believe in Scripture. And you don't have to be defeated by it. All right, listen to this passage. It is so good. Verse 12 of of Philippians chapter three, it says this. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. Pause for a second. Ain't nobody perfect. The apostle Paul was like, I ain't saying I'm a rhyme. I ain't saying she a God. I'm not saying... I'm not saying that I'm perfect. All of you that think that this salvation thing happens and click, I'm not a sinner anymore. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not calling you to sinless perfection. He's saying, look, I make mistakes. Do you see that? Watch this. This is so good. But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken a hold by Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. That is so good. If you, man, I'm telling you something. If, if Paul says, are you asking this question? Well, can I continue in sin just to show God's grace off? No, dummy. That's retarded. Sorry, I'm not going to use that word. That's not a good idea. I'm really trying to get my words reined in here. Miss Patty, if you're watching, I caught it. I caught it. There are good things coming out of 2022. Right? Not all things that people say you shouldn't say are bad things. Ah. <sighs> And I almost got the whole word, but it got halfway out. Sorry. I apologize. The, the point. <laughs> Look, we, we need to figure this thing out. There's a difference between I'm giving it all I got and the Lord saved me from it. Look, you know who you are. If you're just literally saying, well, you know, it's all under the blood. That's a cop out. That's a cop out. That is Christianese for, I got my pet sin and I'm good. You, you could be 300 pounds, overweight, and it's a bad thing, it's gluttonous. No one talks about that sin. I'm just saying, sin is what? Sin. sin. We don't talk about the verse that says, if thou be a man, give an appetite, put a what? Knife to thy throat. What? 
The point is, is that anywhere in your life that something else is ruling you other than Jesus, it is what? Thank you. Look, church, until we figure this thing out, we're going to continue to make excuses for ourselves and our children. It's not a good idea. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Uh-huh. Look, and I know I'm overweight. I'm working on it. Shoot. I'm trying to get that thing. i got a knife. Every morning I wake up and I'm like, knife. <laughs> knife. Pocket, I keep, oh, man, where's my pocket knife at? I'm on knife right to my throat. i got to walk past those cinnamon rolls. Look, we got to drive past Dunkin' Donuts. Knife. You know what I'm saying? Look, it's 2020. There's good food everywhere. Anybody, my wife can cook. Shoot. I'm like, knife. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was a little morbid. All right, back on track here. <laughs> You are going to think about that this week. They'll be like, Pastor Matt has a really good diet trend. It's called knife. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> Look, it's just scripture, yo. Look at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. I, I, his transparency is gold. I love Paul. But one thing I do, I'm not saying I got all the answers, but I got this answer. Hey, church, look up here. I'm not saying I got it figured out, but I figured this out. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Time travel. In this moment, if I know I look at my sin, I'm looking at what should have been buried. In this moment, if I choose to lust, if I choose to be tempted, I'm choosing to live in the past. I wish I could do a backflip, son. I feel it right now. Anybody want to see me break my neck real quick? Man. Paul said, I forget and I reach forward to the things that are ahead. He's like, all I do is live in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> follow it, follow it. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us all who are mature think this way. I, man. Y'all got another 30 minutes? Hang in there with me real quick. I'm about to talk about maturity. Maturity. What do you think maturity is? Well, they've got a stable job. They've got like 20K in the bank. They bought their own, their first vehicle. Brand new. <laughs> um, let's see. My son or daughter, they're so mature. <laughs> so mature. Okay, Paul, has said, Paul says, look, what maturity, how I measure maturity is how much you live like Jesus. Wait a minute, that means parents, we have to stop projecting what we think success looks like on our children and let them reflect what Jesus wants for them. What is it if, if something you're pushing onto them is something that God doesn't want? Then guess what? You're putting them in the position where sin is their ruler. Sin is their king. Maybe they don't want that job. Maybe they don't want that career. Maybe what they have is enough and they're okay with it. You're pushing them into positions. And Paul says, look, that's not it. Those who are mature think towards the kingdom of God, not towards earthly success. I press towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? That's not a bright, shiny new toy. That's whatever God wants for your life. That could be a missionary in Asia. It could, it could be nothing. Or it could be something. We don't know. We have to be careful. 
We, we idolize success so much. Our kids can't tell the difference. All right, I'm off the soapbox. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. In other words, wherever you're at, you do what you can with that. Join in intimidating, intimidating. Join in imitating me. And try to intimidate me. You don't know me. Brothers and sisters, pay careful attention to those who live according to that example you have in us. Verse 18, for I have often told you, and now again say with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Man, if we understood and realized that we are literally living out damnation in the church in the name of what we think God has called us to do. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And their focus is on earthly things. That is so relevant. Y'all take that to your spiritual bank and cash that check all day long. That is some good stuff. We could say it this way. Put it in your religious pipe and what? Smoke it. Mm. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we are eagerly waiting for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for, my brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm. Amen? In that manner stand firm. Firm, I have seven minutes and we're taking communion at 12.25. You listen fast, I'm gonna talk fast. Here's my four points. I want you to walk away with all of this. You hear me? Number one, remember Jesus is more powerful than your sin. We read that whole chapter and what we come out with is the fact that, listen, you should have buried your sin when you believed the gospel. He buried your sin when he declares you righteous, when he said, you'll image my goodness. You don't have to worry about doing good things. I've already done it. He buried your sin. Jesus is more powerful than your sin. He proved it when he rose again on the third day. I just can't stop. Yes, you can't. Why? Because he can. I, I see this. I get chills when I think about this. Verse number 12 in Philippians, he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to hold on to it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Look, if we could just get a picture this morning that every time you're reaching for that sin, he is here holding you. Every time you go for that whatever it is, for that addiction, every time you pick up your phone and you know you shouldn't go there, but you go there, Jesus is holding If he's declared you righteous, he's going, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Why are you going back to that sin? Why are you digging up your past? I'm holding you even in our moments where we are sinning. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is holding on to you through your addiction. Understand that. I wish sometimes that we could just unzip the veil of the unseen realm and see our Savior standing there, holding you. He is more powerful than your sin. I don't want to hear it. I don't believe it that you have to keep running back to that thing. He's there. Number two, pursue what Jesus has given you rather than settle for the temporary counterfeit. I promise you, in, the, in that moment, 
if you deny whosoever shall lose his life or that sin for my sake shall what? Find it. There is more fruit in the spirit when you deny the flesh than you could ever imagine. When you say no to that thing that you're looking for pleasure in, you receive pleasure. I receive way more fulfillment in my Christ-honoring marriage than I ever, ever, ever could stepping out of it. Unfortunately, statistics show that most people pursue stepping out of it because they don't want to do the work at pursuing pleasure in their marriage, and it is work. Anything worth something takes a lot of work and effort. Uh, Work and effort that Jesus already did for you. Mm. Pursue what Jesus has given you rather than settling for a temporary counterfeit. Number three, grow past yourself. Grow past yourself. In Philippians it says, you who are mature, think this way. You who are mature, press towards the prize and, and don't think about what's what, behind. Well, those are sins that are behind me. No, they're sins that are in front of you that are a part of your past of what he's already paid for. So stop sinning. Grow past yourself. What do you mean? No, I'm the best version of me. (laughs) Didn't you know? Look at all the Facebook posts that say I'm the best version of me. No, you're not. You're the best version of who Jesus has made you to be. This self-ideology is killing, killing us spiritually. It's a part of the gospel to realize who we are without him. So grow past yourself. What do you mean? Stop doing what you want to do and do what he wants you to do. It's that easy. Really? Yeah. Look, and here's the problem. We're trying to do it alone. Number four, fire at the right targets with the correct ammunition. Some of y'all are trying to do this by yourself. You've got like a billy club in the dark and you're trying to get your sin. You're trying to, I'm going to beat this thing blindfolded by the enemy. I'm going to beat it. You just wait and watch. I won't sin tomorrow. No. All right, answer that phone. Listen to me. I got two minutes, that's it. Come on up, Kaylee Charles. The weapons of our warfare are not what? Come on, the weapons of our warfare are not what? Carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We need each other. Here's some weapons the Lord's given you. Prayer. Bear ye one another's burdens. If you got a problem, go tell somebody about it. Let's step in it with each other. That's called the church. If one of us is hurting in sin, right, then we're all what? We're all hurting. Let's reach out to each other. Ain't nothing worse than going to the range. You know what I'm thinking, Jose. (laughs) Ain't nothing worse than going to the range with somebody who does not practice good gun safety. It's like, yo, look at my grouping. And they're swinging that barrel, and I'm like, whoa, point that thing out. Keep it on the lane. Why is it that Christians are always shooting the wounded? You're pointing at the wrong people. You're firing anger instead of firing love. You're pointing that weapon. You've got this billy club when you need the sword to just peel back the layer. Look, we have the answer. We have the weapons. We have what we need. When I fight, I fight on my knees. With my hands lifted high. 
We sang about it today. Look, if we're honest, we're all struggling with our sin. If we're honest, we all wish we did better at this thing, right? So Paul said, if I've learned anything, I've learned this. Let's forget the, the thing and let's press toward him. Is the prize Jesus, yes or no? Yes. He's so much better than your sin. But unfortunately, we have Christians that aren't experiencing him in his fullness because it's the old you. You're living in your sin trying to experience something spiritual. You're just getting a, just a little piece. Forget the old you. Bury the dead. And let's walk into life with him. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week and God bless.